Well, we have made it. The fact that you're here this morning testifies that you have probably finished your Christmas shopping. And if not, then I am deeply impressed with your composure under pressure and your sense of priorities to come here. I know many stores are going to be open like forever tonight, but really, from my perspective, I think your safest shopping option, if you still need it, is probably 7-Eleven. See what you can come up with there. But truly, I am praying that for for most of us, there's just maybe a little wrapping, a little cooking, a little football watching or napping left between now and tonight's services and tomorrow's festivities. But it seems I am getting ahead of myself, because today isn't just Christmas Eve, it's also the fourth Sunday of Advent. And all throughout this Advent season, we've been celebrating the transcendent gifts of Christmas, hope, love, joy, and peace. We have celebrated through prayer, through devotion, through music, through preaching, and and we have considered the first three. We have looked at hope and love and joy, and so now... We are left this morning, as we have hopefully finished most of the craziness of the season, to contemplate peace. I don't know about you, but peace sounds pretty attractive right now. A little calm, a little quiet, some silence, a few moments free of stress or strain or conflict would all be pretty nice. Peace can be hard to find this time of year, but But the truth is, peace is difficult to find in any season. At present, there are at least 45 ongoing shooting wars and conflicts spread around this world. Add in some of the things we have seen this this year and in recent years, terrorist attacks, lone gunmen, criminal violence, and there just seems to be precious little peace on earth. And so here we are in this special season, we are proclaiming peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and yet it seems almost impossible to find. For Christians, this should spark some sort of reflection, perhaps even some concern. The Bible proclaims that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We saw, just heard read, Luke 2.14, the angelic army proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So where's the peace? Where's the peace in this world in which we live? The peace is found where it has always been found ever since that very first Christmas. The peace is in Christ, waiting for us to choose it. Waiting, available to those with whom he is pleased. This gift of peace is what our world badly needs to receive this Christmas. And it's in Jesus Christ who is the only source of that gift. Listen, if you will, to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 21, as he describes the incredible peacemaking power of Jesus Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is an incredible testimony to Christ's power, and it explains how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ offers peace between diverse peoples and with God. Paul begins by describing the astonishing truth that Jesus offers peace between diverse peoples. And I say that this truth is astonishing because it just seems that people are instinctually hostile towards people who are different from them. If you look around, much of the rising hatred and violence in our society and in our world is is rooted in hostility that is based on race, ethnicity, nationality, socioeconomic status, religion, or politics. Truth be told, conflict between diverse peoples, between people who are different, is almost as old as mankind itself. People who are different have struggled to get along since Genesis 4 when Cain the farmer killed his little brother Abel the shepherd. Our innate tendency towards violence and conflict only worsened after Genesis 11 in the wake of the Tower of Babel when God introduced language barriers and and scattered the peoples of the earth. And so fast forward many centuries and by the time Jesus was born, the divide that existed between the Jews of Israel... And the Greco-Roman world around them, that divide was massive and irreconcilable. They They were divided by language, by religion, by social mores and morals, by cultural sensitivities. They were divided by economic power and status and globalism and sophistication. They were divided between oppressor and oppressed. How do you overcome a wall like that? Today we often lament the increasingly obvious and sharp divides within America between red and blue, Republican and Democrat, Christian and secularist, urban and rural, rich and poor, black and white. And we are right to lament these divides because they represent a failure of our culture and a breakdown of our national identity and culture. But these Divisions are trivial compared to the hostility, the hatred, the division between Jew and Gentile 20 centuries ago. And yet, despite all of that, despite all of that hostility and that wall, something came along and erased those divisions. Something brought extraordinary healing, reconciliation, and unity to all who would have it. That someone was Jesus and that something was the church. And it can happen again today. What Paul is teaching in this passage remains just as true today. That Jesus unifies those who are far apart. If we truly embrace him. 
while we are seemingly incapable of bridging our great divides, in fact, too often we embrace the divides, celebrate them almost, Jesus bridges the divides with ease. We get a little taste of this in the midst of the Christmas story that we have heard read this morning as we see both God-fearing, poor Jewish shepherds and wealthy pagan Gentile magi gathering to worship the infant Jesus. Already at his birth, Jesus is drawing together polar opposites, a work that he perfected with his death. In verse 13, Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles, formerly enemies, now united by their faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the beauty of the Christian faith, when we truly hold to the Christian faith, is that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood poured out for us, for the sins of every single person, that transcends race and ethnicity, class and status. It transcends any grouping we have or try to create, and it brings every group of believers near to one another. Paul continues on in verse 14, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So just as verse 13 evokes the image of Christ's blood shed for us, verse 14 reminds us of the body of Christ, no longer a cute and cuddly babe in a manger, but but a grown man, the very Son of God, his body beaten and whipped and broken and nailed and hanging on a cross for us. In this brutal act of self-sacrifice, Jesus destroyed, smashed, obliterated the dividing wall of hatred and anger and hostility between Jew and Gentile for those who trust in him. And he opened the door for real, meaningful, lasting peace. By his perfect sinless life and his atoning, infinite sacrifice, Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the law of Moses. So the believers would no longer be under it, no longer run afoul of it. In fulfilling God's law, he made it possible for believers of diverse backgrounds to stand as one people, united before God. Verse 15 explains, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross made possible that beautiful picture of heaven that I love so much from Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. This church is our future. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The end of verse 15 explains that instead of two different hostile peoples, Jew and Gentile, there's now only one people, one new creation in Christ, the church. This is the incredible good news that our dark and and angry and vicious world needs to be hearing from 
believers in Jesus Christ amidst all the evils of racism and oppression and ethnic warfare in our world. This is the good news that Paul proclaims in Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither black nor white, neither rich nor poor, because every true follower of Jesus Christ is one in him. This is the hope of peace for our divided and angry and hate-filled world. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope we need to be sharing far and wide, not just at Christmas, but every single day of the year. This is the hope that 2,000 years ago transformed sick cultures that hated one another and brought real, meaningful, lasting peace. This is the world's only real hope for true peace. It's not in systems, it's not in structures, it's not in boards, it's not in politics. It is that in Christ, every believer, regardless of background, is a child of God, created in the image of God. Listen to John celebrate this fact. He's overwhelmed by it in 1 John 3.1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The challenge for us, for each of us, church, is to actually live this truth in our daily lives. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves honestly. Are you still distanced from others because of issues of race? Christ died to bring you together. So if you are, repent of your attitude. Are you distanced from others because of nationality or ethnicity or citizenship? Christ died to bring you together. So if so, repent of your attitude. Are you distanced from others by politics? Christ died to bring you together. So repent. Are you distanced from others by denomination? If so, Christ died to bring you together, so repent. When it comes to other Christians, we must let our unity in Christ transcend our small differences that we cling to. This morning, I urge you to embrace Christ and embrace every other believer, the other children of God, as you have never done before. And let Christ bring peace into every relationship and encounter you have. Only Christ can do this for us, because it is he who who has the power to kill our innate hostility, if we let him. Verse 16 explains, Christ died that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The very cross of Christ, a symbol of Roman oppression and terror, is the tool that Jesus used to reconcile us with each other and with God. A symbol of Roman hostility is what kills our hostility and sows peace. 
verse 17 makes clear, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus Christ came to preach peace to you and he came to preach peace to me and to our friends and to complete strangers and to people in America and to people in Africa and people in Indonesia. And we still mess this up a lot as Christians, don't we? Right? We lose our temper at home or in traffic. We, we become violent or we support violence. We harbor hostility in our heart. But, but as we truly embrace Jesus, as we become more like him, that hatred and violence, that hostility and anger are replaced by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So examine the pattern of your lives this morning. Consider your habits at home or at work, in school or on the road, with friends or with strangers, at Potomac Mills or on Old Bridge Road. Look for the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And if, and if you aren't experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, then if it's not growing in your life, nurture your relationship with God. Nurture it. Because Jesus offers to kill our hostility if we let him. Devote more time each day to prayer. Real prayer, genuine praise, honest confession, heartfelt thanksgiving. And yes, the meaningful presentation of the things that are truly on your heart burdening you. Grab a Bible reading plan from the back and get started reading God's Word every single day. Devote yourself to memorizing the verse we provide each week. Begin meditating on a verse in the car and, and at home and on the bus. And experience and enjoy the peace with others that is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ, through the new life we receive in Him. But there's an even more profound peace that is to be found through faith in Jesus Christ. An eternal peace that transcends all others because Jesus offers peace with God. As verse 16 made clear, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ wasn't simply about peace on earth, but rather that Jesus Christ reconciles all those who trust in him with God through the cross. This is why Christmas was such good news. This is why we celebrated 2,000 years later. This is why those angelic armies were going nuts to proclaim the good news. Because the truth is, in our natural state, each and every one of us is at war with God. Because God is perfect and holy and righteous and just, and we just can't stand that. Because He wants us to be able to be in relationship with Him. And so he requires that we be the same way, perfectly holy and righteous and just every moment of every day. And we can't do it, and we can't stand it. He's made clear what's expected of us, because he genuinely wants what's best for us, what will make our lives flourish, but what would result in long-term delight in him. But we are creatures of short-term. And so what he asks of us seems unfun, uninteresting, and we only discover the real joy of it over time. And so each of us has our intense desires, our preferences for what we want, the, the way we want it, when we want it. If you've ever had the joy of spending time around toddlers, you know they insist on doing things their way. And they're not afraid to throw a fit if you tell them otherwise. Well, we're really not that different as grown-ups. 
We sometimes hide our fits a little bit better, but they're still going on in our hearts. We hate being told what we can't do, what we shouldn't do, or that it should be done a different way, or that it needs to be on a different schedule. We hate that stuff. And so we just naturally bust on through. We just bull on ahead, doing whatever we want, regardless of whether we should, regardless of whether it's a, in God's desire or will for us. And along the way, we might rationalize it. Eh, it's not really that bad. God will understand. Or maybe we just stop caring altogether. But that stubborn plowing forward, that doing whatever it is we feel like, regardless of whether or not God approves, this is our fundamental sin going back to the very beginning. This is our unholy warfare against the holy and perfect standard to which God holds us. Even if we aren't actively like that, we don't, you're like, I'm not like that. I'm not at war with God. I like to do things my own way, but I'm a good person. Right? Even if we say, ah, most of the time I do good stuff, I do more good than bad. Right? All the various things we tell ourselves. Right? So let's say we're like that. But I guarantee you there are still moments where your thoughts and your words and your actions are much more about you and they are, they are selfish and focused on you and not about what a righteous and holy and just God appropriately expects of you. This is our rebellion against God. This is the hostility that we each carry toward the Lord of the universe. And even if we realize, okay, this is not a good pattern, this is not, I'm, not, I'm in the wrong here, our natural instinct is to say, I'm going to do it different this time. I'm going to change. I'm going to really hard to be a good person. I'm going to get it right this time. And maybe you do for a while, but inevitably you don't. Inevitably you won't. And then if you have a conscience, you feel worse, right? More guilt, more shame. I'm going to try harder the next time. And it just keeps piling on. But Jesus offers a different way. A better way. A way to make peace with God that lasts forever. When Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, that innocent babe in the manger, we're celebrating these few days here, when he grew up, to live a perfect and holy and sin-free life, and then chose to go to that hideous Roman cross. He did so to be a sacrifice for you and for me to offer a different way. He did so to carry the weight of all our sin to that cross and then nail it there. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 explains, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He did so to bear God's righteous anger for all our sin that we won't have to. As John writes in 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation, right? That word means the sacrifice necessary to satisfy the rightful anger of a just God. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He did so, so that every single person who trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior might have his sins forgiven and create for us eternal peace with God. 
as Romans 5.1 proclaims, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By this, Jesus gives us access to God himself. Verse 18 explains, once we trust in Christ, God's spirit fills us and we enter the presence of God the Father. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through Christ, we become fellow citizens of heaven with every other believer, with fellow members of God's home. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We, the people of God, are united in one spirit, regardless of our background, regardless of our race, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our wealth. We are built together into one single, unified, holy temple in God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the peace offered through Christ. This is the unity and the love and the ongoing and eternal life in the presence of God that is experienced by every Christ follower. This is an incredible gift. This is a gift only possible through Jesus. This is a gift that our violent and broken world desperately needs. It needs peace. And church, we have it. And we need to be offering it. What we have received must be freely offered to all because this is the true peace. The peace that transcends any situation, any crisis, any circumstance. And it only comes through that babe in the manger. Or more precisely, through that babe, all grown up, crucified, dead, buried, and risen to live forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we so desperately need peace in our world. As we look around, there is just anger and violence and misery spread near and far. Lord, we celebrate here at Christmas the coming of Jesus, your eternal Son as a babe, to open the doors to peace. That all who trust in him may find peace, may find unity, that we will be knit together as one body in Jesus Christ. That we may have peace with you and peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we have failed at that many times. We have failed to accept the peace that Christ died to create. And so, Lord, I pray that you will reveal in coming days to our hearts areas where we need to make peace, areas where we need to celebrate peace, and people with whom we need to share the peace that is only available through faith in Jesus Christ. Or it's in his precious and holy name we pray. Amen.